This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. I'm going to encourage you, if you actually have your book, The Story, around the house, go grab it. Um, If not, that's fine. You can actually get your Bible and you can turn to Ruth chapter 4 because that's going to be the book that we're talking about today. Um, Before we get into chapter 9, I actually was thinking recently, uh, many of you guys know that Rob and I have three children. We have Lauren, who is 21, and um, guys, her If all goes well, which I'm sure it will, she will be graduating college in December. Gasp. I'm getting old. I know. Is that not crazy? And then you know that our next daughter is Madison. And um, Madison is, how old is Madison? 18? 18. And um, she is probably about three semesters into college. Um, And then we've got Aaron, who's 16, and he'll be a junior next year. But the reason um, I wanted to bring that up is, as you guys know, both of our girls were homeschooled. They graduated. They did dual enrollment their senior year. And what that means is basically they went to Northwest Community College for their classes, and they got credit for high school and for college. And so this past winter break, Madison and I were together, and um, I'm like, Madison, you know, what is your plan? Because she's kind of taken most of her basics already at Northwest. She's gotten her English and her science and her math and all her psychologies, and I can't name all the ologies that she's currently doing. Um, And so, you know, she really would like to do graphic design, marketing, something like that. And so we've been talking and we've been praying and we're like, okay, you know, Madison, what direction do you want to go? Because we need to begin to decide what university that you want to go to. And so over a Christmas break, she and I got together. We got our laptop out, sitting at the kitchen table, and um, we began to do that online process. Has anybody ever applied for college? right? It's quite a process, right? You go in, you've got to answer all these questions, and then you've got to get your transcripts sent over from your high school and from your college. Um, and then, you know, you've got to put some money out, right? So you've got to pay your processing fee, your application fee. And so we did all of this during our winter break. And then we waited. I'm like, surely, you know, within a month or so, we might get a letter or a response or something. And we waited. And I was like, Madison, have you heard from them? Have they sent you an email? Have you got something in the mail? And she's like, no. And I'm like, I'm not the most patient. I like to plan things out. And I'm like, Madison, you need to call them. You need to message them. She's like, kind of reluctantly, Mom, do I have to? And I'm like, yes, it's your future. You got to do it. So she gives him a call and kind of is like, well, they said they needed my high school transcript still and that we didn't pay our registration fee and so it might still be a little while. And I was like, what? I was like, we did those things. Like, I got the documentation. So I waited a couple more weeks and unfortunately this mama couldn't leave it in Madison's hands and so I was like, okay, I'm going to give them a call and I'm going to figure out where we're at. What's going on with this process? I give them a call and get a hold of somebody, and they're like, well, I don't see that you've paid your, paid your application fee. I was like, I assure you, we've paid our application fee. I've got the receipt. I can tell you what day it happened. Um, he's like, oh, okay. He's like, 
hmm, hold on just a minute. And he begins to look and um, comes back. It's probably on pause, hold, whatever, forever, or felt like it. And he goes, okay, I just looked, and you're right. We've got everything. But currently, we're taking nursing applications, and that kind of takes process or takes priority over everybody else. So it may be a month or two before we hear back from you. I'm like, really? But I was like, okay, okay. And so I'm like, yes, we got all that information to him. And then is that, has anybody ever waited for that letter in the mail to be accepted into something or for that phone call that you got that job or you got that promotion? And so I was waiting for the mail, waiting for the mail, waiting for the mail. And then one day, the mail, an envelope shows up, University of Memphis on the top of it, Madison Thomas. And so what does this mom do? No, I did not rip it open. I wanted to really bad. I did take a picture of it because she was at work and was like, look what came in the mail with a, can I open it? And then I got the envelope. I'll be real. I'll tell you all the truth. And I'm like trying to shine it in a light to see if I can read through the envelope to see what it says. Well, probably not to any of y'all's surprise, but the letter came in and it said, Dear Madison, congratulations. I am pleased to offer you admission and acceptance to attend the University of Memphis. Acceptance. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Acceptance. Does anybody like to be rejected? You know, as Pastor Rob in transition a while ago, he was talking about um, being forgotten. Let me encourage you, just like he said, you are not forgotten. You are accepted. And so I encourage you right now, if you've got your book, The Story, you can turn to page 121. If you're reading from your Bible, you can read, read, you can turn to Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to start right here. And I'm going to read you a couple verses here. It says, In the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. And so I want to pause there for a moment. There's a couple things that I would like for us to take note of. A couple observations. The first thing I want us to recognize is this is taking place during the period of the judges. Pastor Rob talked about that two weeks ago. If you don't remember, the judges, that period, we kind of identified something that we called the sin cycle, right? So here were the Israelites. They would go and they would do wrong, really wrong, really, really wrong. God would send them a judge. The judge would come. They would do right. They would do really, really right. The judge would die, and then what would they do? Really, really wrong. And then we saw that this cycle happened over and over and over again. And so this story right here is taking place during that time of the judges. The next thing I want you to recognize is that they left Bethlehem. And we're going to come back and talk about that a little bit more towards the end. And the third thing is is this is not the first time that we see God using a famine to work out his upper story. This is not the first time that we've seen that. We've seen that numerous times as we've been reading and we've been studying his word. And so let's continue on with the story here a little bit. 
here he is, he's married, he takes his wife, he takes his two kids, and they go to Moab. Now, this is my opinion here. I can't back it up through anything in Scripture. But I wanted this to think about this as a lower story incident. You know, we've been talking about the upper story being God's story, the lower story being our story. And I personally think that this decision was a mistake. And you might say, well, why was this a mistake for them to go into Moab? Well, one thing that we know is that the people of Moab worshipped pagan gods. We know that the Israelites were specifically told, do not marry Moabite women. We know that sometime during the period of Judges, that the the Moabites and the Israelites were in conflict for like 18 years. So I personally think that this decision that they had made was a mistake because I feel that it possibly lacked faith. But God, right? How many of you guys know that God can turn any mistake that we make into something good? He can work all things to our good. So even when we miss it, even when we make a mistake, maybe we don't do things exactly right, exactly God's way, he can turn those things around. Okay, so that's just my opinion. Do what you want with it. So here they are. They're trucking on, and they go to Moab. Naomi's husband dies while they're there. His two sons, her two sons, marry. And who do they marry? Moabite women, right? Once again, this was a huge no-no. But they marry two. They marry, one of them marries a lady by the name of Orpha, not to be confused with Oprah. All right, Orpha. And then the other one marries a lady by the name of Ruth. And they live in Moab for 10 years. And then what happens? Her husband dies and her two sons die. So here we have Naomi. Think about it for a moment. In a foreign land, her husband dies, her two sons die, and so she's left pretty much with two daughters-in-laws. For some of us, that might be a good thing, and some of us, that might not be a good thing. (laughs) But Naomi is devastated. How much disappointment can a person handle? But she hears that the famine back home in Bethlehem is over. And so she decides, you know what? I don't have anything here. And so I'm going to head back home to Bethlehem. Probably totally humiliated because she has nothing. And so her daughter-in-laws are like, I want to come with you. Let me come. And she's like, no, that's a crazy idea. You don't want to come with me. And then let's read this scripture right here. Ruth 1. Verses 12 and 13. This is what she says. She says, Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So we see here that Naomi's like, No, don't come with me. God has turned his hand against me. Now take note of that comment. This is how Naomi feels about her current situation at this moment. So, what do the daughter-in-laws do? Orpha makes the conventional, maybe what we would define as the wise decision, and is like, okay, I'll head back home to my mama and my daddy, and I'll rebuild my life. 
But Ruth decides to stay. We're going to read this next passage, and it's probably the most popular passage in Scripture when it comes to loyalty. And here's what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, but it ever be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. So we see here that Naomi doesn't come back a third time. She's like, all right, girl, let's go. (laughs) How many of you know that's some pretty convincing speech there? That is some pretty convincing speech. And so they take off on their trek to head back from Moab to where? To Bethlehem. And they enter Bethlehem after being gone for over a decade. And their people are kind of looking and checking it out. And there's some women, imagine it being women. And they're like, is this Naomi? Is that Naomi? Has she come back? They knew who she was. And look right here at her response. Chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. She says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full But the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So she's back to home. Does she have a good attitude? (laughs) No, not really. Not not according. Okay, no, just call me Mara. Just call me bitter. Once again, she makes a statement about God. And that's how she felt at that moment with her relationship with the Lord. This is the second time we see that. Now let's get real for a moment, because you might be like, well, what is she complaining about? She's going back home. She knows people. Well, Naomi knew that she had a tough time economically ahead of her. Her husband had land in Bethlehem, but she was too old to take care of it. And so she's going to have to sell that property to pay off her debts. And what we don't realize, or I didn't until really studying this, is that when she sells her land, she loses her identity. When she chooses to sell that land, she's going to lose her identity. She's pretty much going to just become a servant and begin to live a life of servanthood. Because the Israelites, their identity was wrapped up in the land that they owned. And so with the land, it stayed in the family forever based on the man, right? The man, not the women, based on the men. So her husband was dead and her two sons were dead. There were no men. And so when she sold that, if she chose to sell that, when she chose to give it up, her family name would be no longer. Pretty much her family would be erased, wiped off the map. Without an heir, her land and her life were no more. They are forgotten. What else could a widow expect? Here she is coming into this land. Oftentimes, widows were taken advantage of. They were ignored. They were poverty-stricken. A lot of times, they were sexually 
victimized, and oftentimes widows died of starvation. Does that put our bitterness maybe in a little bit more of a perspective? But God, God had made a law to help the widows and the poor people make it in Israel. I love how God, back in the book of Deuteronomy, God established a law called gleaning. Now what gleaning was, is gleaning was a way of provision for food. And so if you owned land and you were working the field, you would intentionally leave grain and produce out on the field so that the poor, so that the widows could come and they could gather that up and so that they could have something to eat. And so this is where we're going to begin to talk about Ruth. We've kind of talked about Naomi for a little bit. But this is where we're going to talk about Ruth. And Ruth begins to shine. Ruth is young. She's strong. I would definitely say by that statement we read in chapter 1 that she is determined and she is devoted to Naomi. And so Ruth decides, hey, Naomi, I'm going to go out and I'm going to glean and I'm going to get us some food and I am going to take care of us. So she goes out and she begins to work. She's out in that field. She's gathering food. She's given permission to be there. And then Boaz comes to the scene. Boaz is the owner of this land and he comes up and he inquires, who is this woman working in our field? And he discovers that it's a Moabite woman from a pagan land. We talked about the Moabites a little bit earlier, right? We know they had been pressed by those people for 18 years. Maybe the plot tensions, the tensions, the air thickens. Ruth, a Moabite, an oppressor on my land? Is he going to evict her and kick her off and say no? No, he doesn't. What do we know that he does? He accepts her. And so how does Ruth respond? Right here in Ruth chapter 2, verse 10 says, at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you have noticed me as what? As a foreigner. His response, I love this response. Verse 11, it says, Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and your mother and your homeland and you came to live with people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. If you like write in your Bible or if you take notes, circle, underline, make note of the word wing right now. Because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. And so Ruth finishes out her day in the field. She can't wait to get home to Naomi to tell her about her day. You won't believe my day. She comes back with a truckload of food. (laughs) Some say that she actually brought back two weeks worth of grain in one day's work. She has all this good news. She comes home and she's talking to Naomi. And all of a sudden she's like, well, whose land were you on? And, And Ruth is like, well, Boaz. And then all of a sudden, like, Naomi, a light bulb goes off in her mind, right? Boaz. I know that name. Wait a minute. Boaz, he's related to, your fa- to my husband somehow. He's family. Now, 
I personally don't believe that it was by chance that out of all the fields that she could go to, that she happened to land in Boaz's field, right? I would say that was probably a divine appointment, something that God was doing on purpose for that big story plan. Sometimes a situation is not coincidence, but it's a confirmation. Maybe Naomi had been praying, you know, God, what am I going to do? And this was a confirmation. Ah, God's going to do something. He's got a plan for me. So Naomi's wheels are getting turning. She's getting excited. And you might be like, well, why is she getting excited about the name Boaz? Because he's a family member. What does that mean? Well, Boaz could actually be their kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer. Now, a lot of you may have never heard of that term because it's not something that's necessarily practiced today. But there's an Old Testament law, and this is what it means. It states that if a man dies without an heir, a son, the next of kin marries the widow. He is to love her. He is to pay her debts. He is to buy back the land that she sold. And then the heir from marriage gets the land to continue in the name of the deceased husband. And so in this instance, Malon would would not have been snuffed out. His name would have kept going, right? If that land, because that was Ruth's husband before he passed away. Now, I don't know. For me, that kind of seems like a big ask. You know, um, Naomi's all excited. This is our chance. I can't wait for this to happen. God hasn't turned my back on me. And so she's like, okay, Ruth, I got an idea for you. First of all, girl, you need to go take a shower because you'll be stinking. (laughs) She has been out in that field, smelly, dirty, gross, nasty. And then she's like, okay, pull out that best perfume you have. We want you to smell really, really good. And then she's like, go and get the very best clothes that you have. So pretty much what we see is Naomi's probably trying to be a matchmaker here, right? I'm going to hook up this Ruth with Boaz, and hopefully we're going to get a future. And so here's what she tells her to do. She's like, okay, Naomi, you're clean, you're smelling good, you're looking good. Now what I want you to do is I want you to wait till Boaz goes to bed. I want you to sneak into his room, and I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to lay at him. Does that not seem like some of the craziest? (laughs) Um, Lauren, who's sitting here, if anybody ever tells you to do that, don't do it. Run, okay? (laughs) Disgusting. She said, feet are disgusting. You want me to touch his feet? Lay on his feet? Gross. But here's what we don't know, or some of you may, is that there was actually an old custom. She was actually, by doing that, she was stating her intentions that she was available for marriage. So do you understand here the position of rejection that Ruth could possibly be putting into her hands? You know, it's one thing for Boaz to say, sure, you can have some food. But it's another thing to actually say, you know what? I'll be your kinsman redeemer. I will take you in and I will marry you. And so what does he do? He looks, okay, let me tell you what happens. I haven't told you that part, have I? So how does it play out? She goes into his room. She uncovers his feet. She lays on them, near them. And then in the middle of the night, he's startled. (gasps) And he looks down and his feet are cold. Okay, no, there's a woman laying at his feet, right? And he knows exactly what is going on. Ruth says, take your garment and cover me with it. 
for you are my kinsman redeemer. And so let's visit that word right here. We said the word garment. This word garment is the same Hebrew word that Boaz used as the wing of God. And so Boaz says, God is going to place his wing and cover around you. And Ruth says, will you take your wing and cover me so that I might be cared for in this place of refuge? Is that not a beautiful picture? Is that not a beautiful picture? So what happens next? Boaz exercises his obligation. They get married, and not only does he buy Ruth's husband's property, but he buys the brother's property, and he buys Naomi's property. He buys all of it and redeemed them so that their names could continue on forever. And you know what? It came at a high price to buy all three of them. But the story doesn't end there. Ruth and Boaz end up having a beautiful baby. Let's read in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13 and 14. And she gave birth to a son. The woman said, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who is this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. And so we see that Naomi thought that life was over for her, but she was mistaken. Let's read verse 15 and 16. It says right here, he will renew your life and he will sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. She took her grandson into her arms and she cared for him. And you know what they named him? They named him Obed, which means worker. They now have a worker that can work their field, that can preserve the name of Elimelech and her sons Malon and Kilion. Now let's go somewhere for a minute. The last time Naomi spoke to these women, what did she tell them? Call me Mara, for I'm bitter. And now they're like, oh, yeah, look, God has redeemed you, and you've got a grandson, and you've got a way for life to be good. So apparently we can see that Naomi gave up the bitter at this point in her life. She actually said, she didn't say it, but she said, you can go back to calling me Naomi. In case you don't know, Naomi means beautiful or pleasant. And so what was bitter for Naomi became much better. And so there's our story kind of recapped. And you might be like, okay, well, what does this ancient love story have to do with me? What does that have to do with my life today? And the first thing that I want us to recognize is that it is a story of acceptance, You know, each one of us has somebody in our sphere of influence who probably feels like an outsider, feels rejected, feels unloved, feels unwanted, feels like they don't fit in. And as Christ followers, as Christians, you and I are to be like Boaz and be the agents of acceptance to those individuals no matter where they're at. To not only accept them in our lives for who they are, right where they are in this exact moment, 
but to extend them the love and the kindness like Boaz did, the acceptance of our God, because God accepts them, everyone, right where they're at. And so I was trying to think of a modern day example of this, and a couple of you in the church came to mind, but I was really led to this one example. You know, what is a modern day example of acceptance? And earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go to a women's conference at a church, and um, the point of it was talking about mentorship and um, the Titus II ministry. Um, And so At this conference, we would have a speaker, and then we were sitting at round tables, and people would, after they spoke, we'd have questions, and we would talk, and we'd engage, and we'd go back and forth, and and I remember there were seven of us sitting at our table, and I don't even know how we got off on this. It may have been prayer request. It may have just been telling a story, but there was a lady seated at my table, and I'm going to tell her story. I don't remember her name. I don't know the exact details, but we were seated there, and she goes, let me tell you my story. She said, I was married for 30 plus years, and to my surprise, my husband decided to leave me and to leave my kids. She said, I was devastated. I didn't know what to do, but that was my reality. And so she said, she gave that to the Lord, she prayed, she put it in his hands, and then she began to just live life. Okay, God, it's me and you. So she went on for years and years. It's me and you, God. It's me and you. Things were looking better. She had a good relationship with her kids. And then all of a sudden, God brought her a man. Now, this man had actually been married before and divorced and had several children of his own. But they fell in love and they got married. And so here she is, late 60s, early 70s, newly married for the second time. And then... Her husband, her new husband, had a daughter that had three grandchildren. This daughter of theirs, um, unfortunately, had a drug habit and had been in and out of facilities, provided well, didn't provide well. And so then here they're left with the possibility of taking in three teenagers into their home. 70-some years old, three teenagers. Y'all, she was on retirement and living the life, and all was good. And I love what she said. She said, God had something better for us. It's not easy every day, but I'm going to love them. And then she continued to go on with her prayer request of how one of the girls specifically was having a very difficult time and how she was trying to sneak out. She's like, but I know that God's got that. So to me, that was a perfect example of acceptance, of loving the way that Boaz did. Um, And so my point one here is, you know, we want to accept others, and you can be someone's Boaz. And I'm going to encourage you right now, share on Facebook, in this live stream, how can you be a Boaz to someone? Now let me hit this for a minute. Boaz, by some, may be considered a hero, And I looked up a definition of hero, and it said this. It said that a hero simply does the right thing at the right time, whether or not they realize the impact that their actions will have. And so right now, what are some ways that you can be a modern-day Boaz? You know, maybe for you it's um, getting with the kid and coming up to them face-to-face, getting down on their eye level, 
and talking to them. Maybe it's calling up a teenager, mentoring them, encouraging them, praying with them. When the church doors open back up, maybe it's volunteering in the nursery. Maybe it's going on a missions trip. Maybe it's doing a work project. Maybe it's inviting a widow over to your home for dinner. My challenge is, number one, be someone's Boaz. Point number two, what can we take away? Did you guys notice how Naomi turned from bitter to better? How do you guys know that God is a God of second chances? Amen. When we mess it up, he can turn it around. He turned Naomi and Ruth's situation into something amazing. Here's Naomi who was bitter, maybe because of her own disobedience. Maybe not. That was just my opinion. But it was redeemed, right? She got everything back plus some. Ruth, a widow in a foreign land, ended up becoming the bride of Boaz. She has a future. Let me tell you, when it looks like there is no way out, God will make a way for you. He walks with us through that valley, and he leads us to that place of rest. God accepts you, and he wants you to be a part of his plan and his purpose. And let me tell you this, no one should feel disqualified to serve God because of race, gender, or nationality. Let me ask you this, do any of you out there know who the mother of Boaz was? Any of you know? Right here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, let's read it. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, in case you don't know who Rahab was, she was the prostitute in Jericho that was spared before those four walls came tumbling down. You see, Boaz was an outsider, possibly, at one time himself. His mama definitely was at one time. He knew what it was like to be on the outside. But God chose a messed up outsider who may have thought, I'm not good enough, I'm not accepted, I don't look like everybody else that's around me. I can't be used by God. But he used Boaz to bring redemption to a family and to that family name. You know, we see right here that God even chose two foreign women, Rahab and Ruth, to accomplish his upper story. So let me just tell you, think again. If you think like God can't use you, you've messed up, you're too far gone, it's a lie. He can use you and he wants to use you. And I encourage you right now, say, God can use me. Right where you're at, say, God can use me. I can't hear you. Say it again. Guys, you see here in the upper story, God went out of his way to include an outsider, a pagan, a Moabite, and he used them in the lineage of Jesus. In Ruth 4, verse 17, right here, it says, The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David, which we know was the king of David. So guys, Ruth became the great-grandmother of King David. Pretty cool. And then we know we go to Matthew chapter 1, and it's talking about the genealogy of Christ and where he came from that Jesus the Messiah came 
from the son of David. Something else to mention, when you read that genealogy, I don't know if you're like me, I used to like just run through it really, really fast. Still do sometimes. But there's, I don't remember, it's either 31 or 39 men's, men's names who are mentioned, but there's five women who are named in that genealogy, one of which is Ruth. So here I'm telling you is that God is a God of second chances. And then my third point, and to me this is the most important point out of all, is that Jesus is our ultimate guardian, kinsman, redeemer. Just as Boaz was that for Ruth and that family, Jesus can be that for every single one of us. His salvation is for all people. Every single person that chooses to call upon his name, salvation is theirs. Now currently, I don't know, maybe you feel like your current situation is hopeless. Maybe you're feeling bitter. Maybe you feel like your life is a real life soap opera. One thing after another, after another, after another. Crisis after crisis after crisis. Relationships and constant turmoil. I want to tell you that there is hope for you. You see, here's how Jesus, I think, sees you. is He wants to romance your heart. Just kind of like Boaz did a little bit with Ruth. He sees you as a masterpiece. He himself wants to cover you with his wing, and with his garment. And so my question today is, will you be bold enough? Will you be bold like Ruth? Will you be bold like Ruth and come to the feet of Jesus and let him cover you? I'm gonna invite our worship team to come up and we're gonna conclude here. I hope you were challenged by the word today. I hope you learned a few things that maybe you didn't know. But I want you to posture yourself in a moment. And that might look different for everybody. For some of you, it might be closing your eyes. Some of it might be bowing your head. But I want you to just give the Lord your attention and your thoughts right now. And I want you to ponder these three things. Number one... Ask yourself, am I ready to be someone's Boaz? Am I ready to accept somebody right where they are, love them right where they are, and share the love of Christ with them? And I'm believing right now that as some of you are even asking that, that the Lord is putting a person on your mind. So take note of who that person is that the Lord is wanting you to reach out. You know, and some of you might be like, okay, nope, I am not there. I can't go help somebody else because I'm still a mess, which takes me into that second question. Maybe you're here this morning, you're like, you know what? I need a second chance. I need a do-over. I was kind of like Naomi. I had gone to that place of bitterness. I was wallowing around in it, but a Southern word. Pity, woe is me. My life stinks. This ain't cool. And God's saying, but I want to turn this bitter into something better. Will you let me do it? The Lord's asking you right now, will you let me turn your mess into something better? I love this verse in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. 
Part of that do-over, part of that second chance, guys, is doing it the way that the Lord says to do it. A lot of times we become bitter because we're not following the word of God. We're not doing what his scripture says. And so I encourage you, if that's you, evaluate. Okay, God, where am I in sin? Show me where I'm faulty. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me where my attitude stinks so that I can make it right. So I can get to my happy place. And then number three, I'm gonna ask you this morning, will you let Jesus be your kinsman redeemer? Maybe you're watching and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today is your day. 11:29 on April 19th. Today is your day. And it's so easy. All you have to do is say, God, I need you. I repent. I'm sorry. I want to follow after you. Help me to do that. So wherever you are in those three things, I just want you right now to close your eyes. And we're going to pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word that came forth today. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful book that you placed in the Bible, the book of Ruth, that we can take away so many things from. God, I thank you that you accept us. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you are a God of hope, that you are a God of second chances. God, I thank you that no matter what we've done, how ugly our actions have been, our thoughts have been, that as we repent, you can turn those into something beautiful. So Lord, we repent of those things right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you speak to every single person in this moment exactly what they need to hear this morning. Be exactly what they need in this moment. Give them an encouraging word. Give them a scripture. Give them hope, whatever it may be. And I'm gonna close with this verse as we go into worship. Romans 8, 28. And it says, I love this. It just wraps up everything that we talked about today. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Guys, he loves you. He loves you. He works for the good of those that love him. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.